The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccino. Yeah, that's right. She was not what you thought she was. She would be Captain Marvel. The last step, the last movie before Avengers Endgame. And today we're here to talk about that film. Hello, everyone. I am Elliot Serrano, Chicago's King of Geeks and one of the MCU Review crew. If you've been joining us here on the MCU Review channel. Uh, where we talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe starting all the way with Iron Man. And we're soon going to be finishing phase four of the MCU, what many have now called, we now call the Infinity Saga. Uh, And it's going to get really emotional here, folks. It's going to get really emotional. (laughs) But to do that, of course... We have our MCU review crew and a special guest who I am so excited. I have been wanting to have her on the show since we first talked about the MCU review starting off. Well, let's go through our introductions. First off, he is the founder and proprietor and the regular host of Caffeinated Comics, John Clark. How you doing, John? All right. Now, if you don't like this film, are you an ally? (laughs) Let's okay. Really? Now you're starting on that's that. That's what we're here to find out. I that's think that's what we're here. Okay. All right. All right. We're setting tone already. Okay. No tone. Uh, no tone. There will be no tone. Uh, but how you doing? I'm all right. How are you? How's the move coming along? Uh, we pretty good. We we still have a dining room couch, but we no longer have roots in our toilet. Ha! Okay. I don't want to go into that. I don't want to delve into that. Let's make my autobiography, Roots in Our Toilet. Roots in the Toilet. So if you've been listening to both uh, the Top Men and Indiana Jones podcast, as well as a previous episode of the MCU Review, as well as regular episodes of Caffeinated Comics, you have been uh, privy to the moving saga, also an infinity yeah, I'm in phase four of the moving saga. <laughs> I think my problem was I fired Edgar Wright as my mover. That was. The, that was the well, I was going to say, are you going to? Are you? Uh, well, are you out of your dark phase now? Because it was pretty dark with you last time. Uh, when I suggest a Batman podcast, we'll know we're in our dark phase. All right, just do not suggest Black Adam again. All right. <laughs> it's not my suggestion. That was one of them. All right. Now, next up, he is uh, my co-host on the show that pretty much inspired the MCU review, Shaken Not Heard, a James Bond fan cast, where we talked about all the James Bond movies, starting with Dr. No all the way to No Time to Die. He's my compatriot, my buddy, my ride and die, Dave Pino. How you doing, Dave? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. Uh uh, it's this is going to be this is going to be an interesting one if you ask me. I have a feeling this one might be even more. Uh, uh, let's say I'll keep with the word interesting, even more interesting than how 
our discussion about Temple of Doom went last <laughs> week, which, by the way, is now live on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. So if you missed the live stream, of course, you can watch the Top Men Indiana Jones podcast here on the MCU Review Facebook page and YouTube page. I well, thought you were going to say Temple of Doom, which retroactively stars an Academy Award winner. Also, yes, we we posted the the audio version in in celebration of of Kihui Kwan winning that Academy Award. Uh, so yes, um, uh, thanks for bringing that up. Also, thank you, Lehman, for joining us. Thank you, Susan. Thank you to everyone who's watching the live stream on our Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch TV pages. Again, uh, we see all comments in real time. And also, if um, you have anything to offer a conversation as we go along, uh, hit us with something. We will include you in the conversation. Now, someone who I'm really not really, I'm not, I don't know. I think maybe he needs a timeout um, after his behavior <laughs> on the Temple of Doom podcast. Because I just listened to that episode again, and I thought... He was down on this movie when I was experiencing it, but I was I was re-listening to the show. Good God Almighty, was he taking some depressants, Tom <laughs> Jetner? Yes, you stay on mute, my friend, until you will speak when spoken to. <laughs> How you <laughs> it's nice to see you too, Elliot. Choose your words carefully, my friend. <laughs> see, we, I told you I'd have you back. You did have me back, yes. Right. Yes. Luckily, I gave the, I gave that you have the cocktail that I made this week in hand too, so I'm sure yeah. that helps. And and you reminded me to send you a link to the studio. <laughs> <laughs> so. Eh, eh. Well, All right. to okay. balance out this, <laughs> I do have, like I said, a very special guest that's joining us today. Uh, I'll tell you, I have known uh, this person for some time. I've known her since our days at the Chicago Red Eye, uh, where we were both part of the Red Eye Bloggerati. We both uh, uh, wrote uh, blogs for Red Eye that made us kind of got us kind of famous they got us a little a little cred on the on the journalistic streets around chicago uh she would also go on to do a she also had a, a column and a podcast called a league of her own done with another friend of ours alex quigley and well i went on to write grumpy cat comics <laughs> she went on uh to not only uh host on sports radio uh, a commentator and an author. She went and won a freaking Peabody Award. Uh, she's the author of Sidelined, uh, Sports Culture and Being a Woman in America. Please, everybody, let's give it up for Julie DeCaro. <laughs> I, I never would have won my Peabody without Red Eye. I tell you. I, I wouldn't a, have had the strength. But yet, you see freaking uh, Stephen Markley, who also started... Uh, not only has he gone on to write two books, he be, he's in the writer's room. He's written an episode of Only Murders in the Building. Wow. And his last book, he got an endorsement from Stephen King. Amazing. So 
people who started at Red Eye have gone on to do some pretty incredible. I count you among them. I, we I, were definitely the cool kids. Um, yeah. yeah, it was you know glitterati of Chicago walking around. Yeah, big I'm stack of Red Eyes under our arm back when well, they were still paper form. <laughs> for, for me, my thing was uh, the uh, the Blackhawks beard challenge. Remember? Oh, I remember. Jimmy Greenfield blew everyone out of the water. Oh my God, the dude looked. I'm sorry, he looked like a serial killer by the time unfair. the whole thing was over. Because he yeah, was he bald sh- on his head, but he had that big, that graying yeah. beard. He looked just scary as all. I'm surprised he got on planes. It was amazing. <laughs> I, I've, I've told the story several times. I had to go to Los Angeles on one of my one of the times I was doing the the um, the beard challenge. It was near the end. I swear to God, I kept getting pulled out of the line. I just. <laughs> Like we all know why. I mean, I was like looking like freaking Bin Laden at that point. So, uh, my yeah. two-year-old got pulled out of line once. Oh, really? Oh, that's just to balance off some balance yeah. off somebody else to make it look like we're not racist here. Look, yeah. we'll take this tiny blonde child. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not profiling. <laughs> but anyway, hey, Julie, thank you so much for joining us. I remember when we started this show in the very beginning. I, 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 you're one of the first people I'd ask if you could be on. And so yeah, I and I totally missed out on the Winter Soldier. My fault, and I feel terrible about it. Well, it's it's fine because you know, there again, we had folks who wanted to talk about Winter Soldier, and you know, I just I need I need you today. Today is a day I kind of really need you because um, um, I'm still recovering from our last show, where one of my co-hosts just like crapped all over one of my favorite movies. So I kind of need, you know, you're like my my friend. My like kid. the safe place? Yeah. No, it's like, you know, like when you go to a party and you don't really like, you don't know anybody. Or you know, when there's a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. You find your friend in the corner. Yeah. yeah. You find a friend in the corner. Although in this case, I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by friends, but I don't like any of them right now. <laughs> I'm here for you. I don't know what I did. <laughs> Is this about Temple? I know what I did, but what did John and Dave do? <laughs> okay. Really? Yes, it Yes, Julie, it is about Temple of Doom. And to add to add salt to the wound, at the end, uh, John described Temple of Doom as a collection of moments, not even a movie, a collection wow. of moments. No, I said it was a Big Mac. It had many entertaining layers, none of which had nutritional value. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then Dave just sat there smug the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> you know. For folks, if you're not watching the video, okay, if you're listening to the show as uh, as part of the podcast of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, I just made like a, you know, a, a marching, smug marching motion that would have been Dave. You know, again, he's my ride or die, but man, he let me die last week. Hey, I told you I liked that movie. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, and, and Tom being a good sport is just taking uh, taking all the abuse right now. So let's get. I, I appreciate that. All right. So today the com- the conversation is about Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel starring Brie Larson. Uh, let's be honest. This movie had a bit of controversy surrounding it before it was released, and it continued to have controversy after its release. And I will remind everyone who's watching, not necessarily the the, the crew, um, this is only the the second non-Avengers film to score a billion dollars at the box office. Okay, so Black Panther would be the first, and then Captain Marvel would follow up with a billion dollar box office, which meant show. I mean, audiences went for it. We'll get into 
we can get into why. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to lead off, Julie, since you're our guest, what we like to do is we start off with what we call our two-minute MCU movie review. So in like about two minutes or so, uh, your overall uh, review of the film, what you thought about it, uh, and because we will dive deeper into it as we go, but uh, just right from the get-go, what did you think about Captain Marvel? Okay, well, I'll be honest. I was not fired up for Captain Marvel. Um, I didn't read comic books at all as a kid, which uh, can I say that on here? Am I still on? Am I, hello? Is my mic still working? Um, <laughs> you know, something about the format just didn't work for me. Um, I, I love the stories and I found that out as an adult watching Marvel movies. Um, had I known the stories were that great, I might've stuck with it, but something about, you know, I, I had a very vivid imagination as a kid and something about seeing the drawings took away from what was going on in my head. So I, I didn't like it. Um, and so I didn't really know the story and Captain Marvel wasn't Captain America and she wasn't Spider-Man. So it wasn't something I was super fired up about. I, my kids took me to see this movie because they were like, you have to see it. You, you know, we're taking you to see it. You don't get, to, you don't have a choice in this. So I went and wound up literally not sobbing, but crying in parts of this movie because I felt like it had a really good grasp on what it is like oftentimes to be a woman especially in this society, especially when um, you are working in a male dominated field. So I walked out of it kind of blown away. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I, I, you know, I, I talked it up to everyone and I fought with guys online who were trashing it and I went over to Rotten Tomatoes and yelled at everyone and, you know, did all that kind of stuff um, afterwards. But I, I do think that like the marketing, you know, and the, the complaining about it and all the people that came out and said, oh, it's not good. Don't go see it. She's a terrible Captain Marvel, blah, 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 sort of um, worked on me quite a bit in the beginning. Um, so I, I went in not excited, wound up loving this movie. Was that two minutes? It's been too long since I've been in radio. I have no idea. I can't gauge time anymore. <laughs> don't could worry. Have been two minutes could have been 10. You were, no you, you were, you actually brought up some really good points. I want to revisit um, <laughs> as we go along, especially that whole bit about, again, the leading up to the film, a lot of the, the, well, the discourse that was going on uh, on social media. Uh, Dave. Uh, I enjoyed this movie. I think in rewatching it a few nights ago, it was the, probably the second time I had seen it uh, first, obviously when it was in theaters and um, yeah, it, it's, it's a fun movie. It, it, it's interesting because it is sort of like, it's sort of a prequel in the sense that the majority of the film was set in the nineties. So jumping back in time from the, the, the continuity of the, all the previous films. Um, but it, it sort of fills in some gaps of, of questions you might've had about certain characters and certain, uh, the direction certain plot plot threads were heading going forward. Um, it is cool that I believe this is the first female-led um, MCU film where the the main character, obviously, we've had she's not the first uh, you know superpowered or significant female character. Period. We've had Black Widow, of course, um, but just a film that centers on her. Um, you know, it's it took them long enough to get to it, but they got to it eventually. Um, I do wonder, you know, if a movie like, for instance, Black Widow, which maybe I'm I'm doing revisionist history, but I feel like this movie was better received than that one. I know this one certainly made a lot more money than that one did, but as far as it, the reception it received critically, um, you know, if Black Widow had come first, if that it, it would have been sort of a role reversal and it would have outperformed this one. Um, 
but there's a lot of fun stuff happening. This one, I love all the, you know, the nineties setting and sort of the, the obvious little winks and nods, to the audiences and cultural references from that time. I think the de-aging done to Samuel Jackson is great and, and pretty convincing. Uh, there's a lot of really uh, uh, interesting and inventive action sequences. Um, yeah, this is, this is a good movie. This is probably not one of my favorites, but uh, you know, when I, you hear this constant, Sort of like you said, Elliot, the discourse of negativity surrounding the movie, and because I hadn't seen it in a while, um, I, I it was better than I remember it being, and certainly better than I think a lot of people would have you believe it to be. The, that uh, the aging on Agent Coulson though was kind of creeping me out. Uh, <laughs> he looked like uh, Robert Downey Jr. does now in those aura aura ads that you see yeah. on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of creeping me out, John. <laughs> Again, I do not deserve this. <laughs> uh, I I love this movie on paper, and uh, I I hate to say I don't really like it because I don't want to be one of those guys that don't doesn't really like it. I was uh, defending this in the dis in the discourse. I love Brie Larson. I thought she was the only good thing in Twenty One Jump Street. I adored her on her episodes of community i i was really excited that she was taking over it was the most samuel jackson we'd seen in any marvel movie um i love seeing agent colson come back i watched agents of shield way too long just because i really enjoyed him as a character but something about the energy of this movie is 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 slow compared to marvel it it's it doesn't have that frenetic quality that the mcu has and it takes itself very seriously, um, which at a time, probably to answer critics, at a time when people were starting to say that the MCU was turning into a comedy franchise and that they were pushing it too hard. I felt like this swung a little hard the other way to be serious in it. Uh, I don't hate it. I don't have major problems with it, but it's not a movie I go back to very often. And in fact, as I watched it today, I was like, I... I don't know if I've seen this uh, since maybe the year it came out. I know I've seen it at home after I saw it in the theaters, but there's, there are, uh, there's issues of, of pacing and energy to this that I can't quite get over. I, I think it's good. I think it's well-made, but I can't quite put it up in the upper echelon next to like a black Panther, which is another movie I will admit is not made for me, <laughs> but uh, there's, I, I don't know why I can't quite click into Carol Danvers' character. I feel like at the end of the movie, I still don't really know who she is in a way. And honestly, uh, I have to say, I was like that in the comics too. I mean, Carol Danvers was a character created to own the trademark of Ms. Marvel. And then when her comic stopped selling, she became a blank slate to give Rogue a personality in the X-Men. And then she became a cosmic character in as binary and she's kind of bounced around a lot so i have a i have a, like hal jordan as green lantern which is a much worse film but it's it's kind of hard to pinpoint who she is in a way that i didn't have to with like robert downey jr and it's funny if you, you read the comics her origin in the movie was more like her when she became binary in the x-men comics it was closer to that than when she became of course marvel or captain marvel yeah. Um, so, yeah. And finally, our resident mixologist, Tom. 
Well, I, I this is one of my favorites. Um, I wouldn't claim that it's the the best in the MCU MCU review. I wouldn't qual- say it's the, but it's one that that I really enjoy. Um, it's one that I find myself going back to every every now and then over the years because I um, I think a lot of the beats do hit, particularly if you're kind of looking for them. Um, the whole relationship between the whole kind of like toxic thing that's going on between Jude Law and Brie Larson's character. Um, that's something that if you look, if you can sniff it in that first series of sequences and then it kind of keeps going back to it and by the end of the movie, you're ready for that resolution. Um, and I think it is really buoyed, in, in my opinion, by Samuel L. Jackson and Brie Larson have terrific chemistry. Um, you know, we could watch, I could watch another 20 minutes of them in a car and that kind of gets to one of the things that I, I, I feel like I need to talk about the most in this movie. The thing that I think is my favorite part of the movie is also kind of maybe its biggest dropped ball, if there is one, and that's the music. Um, I think that the whole collection of songs on there of kind of early, mid-90s, Q101, 101.9, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm an easy mark for that because of the nostalgia cycle, but it did it did its job. And bringing in songs like, um, oh, bringing in songs from people like Garbage and uh, Nirvana um, and TLC and No Doubt, um, you know, that w- was great. But I, f- my, and I enjoy that. And it's the my favorite part of the movie. At the same time, I wanted that to be more thematically involved. We know they're listening to music in the movie because we have the different sequences where it's referenced. But Carol Danvers went into space in 1989 and she comes back in 1995. What happened? Oh, like, just uh, going off the top of my head, between 1989 and 1995, the entire cycle of Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Wu-Tang, Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers comes out, De La Soul comes out, um, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Temple of the Dog. Oh, is that too early for uh, John? Would know is that too early for Weezer? But Weezer's in there no, too. Weezer's there. Yeah, but those are all male-led bands. Uh, well, the hole finishes the. So, you have Liz Fair. There, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's yeah like I, I, when I listened to the soundtrack, I was just noticing today, like, I was like, wow, I forgot how much I love the music from this because they were all bands led by women. Except for Nirvana. Except for Nirvana. Yeah. I thought that was intentional. I thought that was exactly why they did that. Well, yeah, that's, uh, well, REM's in there too, I think. Yeah, it's not every song, but it it's seems not every to be song. heavily weighted towards women. Yes, but my, I think where I was getting at is the discovery of the music that had changed from 1989. She goes into space being a huge Guns N' Roses fan. And the way that the songs on the radio had changed so much sonically, even within the, the female-led bands of going from something like in the 80s of like Heart or um, 
uh, I guess at the time would be Will Afford to to a No Doubt or a TLC would be very, very different. And I wanted that to be more part of our character development. I just didn't quite get it. But I'm not. It's not really a knock against the movie. For it's like um. Uh, you know, it's it's like a shot not taken in basketball. Like, you know, they could have had a three pointer and they settled for a two. So, you know, I can't really complain. But well, I agree. They didn't make uh, Tom. They didn't make enough of the '90s setting because I remember there was a lot of talk before. It's like, uh, we're this is one we're going to set in the '90s, and I felt like with just a few changes structurally, this could have taken place like during the MCU. Um, other than, other than like the music and like, I, you know, a shout out to Blockbuster and showing that computers were in cafes. I felt like it wasn't about the period it was set in like a movie that would be set like, um, and again, it's not a great movie, but Wonder Woman 1984 made way more out of its 80 setting than Captain Marvel made out of its 90 setting. It should also be noted too, that the first Wonder Woman movie and Captain Marvel came out a year apart. Yeah. And uh, ironically, this came out within a, within a month of Shazam, which um, as uh, most comics fans know, Shazam was Captain Marvel. Yeah. And so they lost the rights to the name to Captain Marvel at Marvel. Which to this day, no, Shazam is still Captain Marvel to me. Shazam Sorry. is Captain Marvel, but they can't they sell can't, it as Captain Marvel. It has to be Shazam, which is just what he says. Right. Uh, but at this point, the MCU is such a powerful force. There was there was no confusion. Yeah. I don't think Warner Brothers even worried about putting out uh, putting out Shazam next to Captain Marvel. Uh, before we lose Tom here, uh, Tom, you did create a drink for today's show. Um, let me pull it up on the screen. So for folks who are watching the video live screen. A live stream you can i'm going to show it to you now if you're listening to the podcast you're going to want to go to instagram.com forward slash cocktails tell us about it Tom. well um i was kind of like trying to figure out uh, when i was thinking of the 90s setting i think the first thing that came to my mind was the clear beverage craze zima uh, zima and things like that and i was gonna thinking of like a punch or something like that and then it occurred to me i could do i could do a clarified clarified cocktail pretty easily and then the question was what and there is actually a um, there's a an old tiki cocktail called the jet pilot that i happen to really enjoy this is a bit of a tweaked version of that because um in my experience, the Jet Pilot, I, well, I mean, it's delicious, but it's, I usually pay for it the next day. Uh, so this is uh, two ounces of rum. It is half an ounce of grapefruit juice, half an ounce of lime juice. Um, for these versions that I have out to you guys, I kind of tweaked it a little bit. I went one third, one third, one third of John D. Taylor's Velvet Falernum, St. Elizabeth Allspice Dram, and honey syrup and then once that's all mixed together uh, oh and a dash of absinthe once that's all mixed together then you pour that into like an ounce of milk and if anyone has ever done milk clarification on cocktails what the citrus and the alcohol will do will curdle and that will kind of glob onto all of the different particulates and things that the the 
the stray bits of uh, uh, pulp and things like that and the, the, the coloring agents that are in the different uh, elements of the drink and will glom onto that. So when you pour it then through a coffee filter, like I did for this, it comes out almost entirely clear. And I could potentially run this through a second time and get it really, really clear if I wanted to, but I think it turned out really good. I, uh, I know that uh, Dave and Elliot, you're drinking yours. Um, so Very you nice. Very good. I think this is one of your best yet. I um, I have this baby again in a, in a little uh, rocks glass with a Death Star ice, uh, ice globe. And yes, quite good. Missing the sprig of mint, though. I still haven't gone out to get the mint as I should have like ages ago for all the other stuff. It's more decorative at this point. It's the jet pilot. I think doesn't, uh, doesn't call for it. Uh, at least, uh, they didn't serve it to me when I went to uh, three dots and a dash recently. Uh, so they didn't serve it to me at jet pilot on the jet pilot, but I, I like, I like it there for color. It adds a little bit of something. So, uh, and, uh, and, uh, for, interest of full disclosure uh i don't think we've gotten john his and i had no idea how i could get one to you julie so we're the next show for sure though <laughs> next show for sure we're, i'm you're sitting here cocktailless i don't know how i can be expected to work under these conditions <laughs> none of you are allies this is terrible <laughs> <laughs> well because before we came on air you said well just send me the recipe and then and i think you'll see from these recipes that tom puts together uh, I'm like, oh, geez, he's got. It's not that bad. He's got this Indonesian liqueur that I need to travel over three rivers to find. <laughs> <laughs> everything's everything I everything that is, everything at the show is available at Benny's. That's where I do yeah. all my I do all my shopping at the Benny's in Lincolnwood. So, if you can't find it at Benny's, it's probably not worth drinking. Exactly, Dave. 100%. Although we are not sponsored by not sponsored by Benny's yet. I'm trying yeah. to get sponsorship for the show. Yeah, somebody. <laughs> I mean, we plug how many different coffees and and different types of booze on this show. We have yet to get a sponsorship. Well, well Tom, I uh, will take credit for uh, inspiring the clarified milk because I had a clarified milk punch at a restaurant and immediately texted Tom and I was like, "This drink is amazing, and I don't know how to make it." And then within a day. He had perfected it. So, so truly, if there's a drink that you want, um, Tom can Tom can make that stuff. I'm still waiting for my family to bring me my Diet Mountain Dew that I've been waiting <laughs> on for half an hour now. They're letting well, you down. Uh, we can. I can always. Uh, I can always make you one, and I can find you a way. It's pretty shelf stable, so like I can find a way to. <laughs> amazing. It's, Tom, it's when, am you, when you use honey syrup. Do you make your own, or is it store bought? Oh, I just make my own because all it is is oh, like. Sure. Two all it is is two parts honey to one part hot water. That's it. It's like simple syrup with honey. It's yeah. like Martha Stewart when she's like, you can use store-bought nutmeg, but I like to grow my own. <laughs> exactly. Tom had bees. Yes, Tom has his own beehive out back. Boy, I wish. Just go in the backyard, scoop up a handful of bees. <laughs> Just put the bees in the drink, cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's color. That's a dash of color. <laughs> the other running, the other running gag we have all in this is, despite the exoticness of the ingredients, is that if I ever suggest a drink with green chartreuse, Dave is under orders to immediately kill me because I've crossed a line. <laughs> is it the Midori? I think it's I th no. It's, green chartreuse is just it. Just sounds. Um, I've arbitrarily selected it as just one more bottle I that I would that would go in my liquor cabinet. I see. 
and it's just just a little too much. I already have a fridge full of vermouth, and I have four separate bottles of rum. So, wow. What was in? What was your your logic? It's it sounds too pretentious. Is that what it was? Yeah, it just sounds just too. It just sounds too. It's 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 supposedly very good, but it just sounds a little bit too pretentious. So. I don't I don't mean to bust anybody's bubble, but uh, dude, you've been riding that pretentious train for a while now <laughs> yeah i mean i don't i haven't heard the previous stuff when you talking about cocktails but i mean clarified milk sounds like something that i could not achieve it's quite easy own. it's quite easy it's once you once you it, it really is it really is all it is is you take you you just mix the stuff and you pour it into an ounce of milk and you just let it sit for a few minutes and then you pour it through a coffee filter that's it well when you put it that way yeah, that, that sounds like a lot for me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's like, that sounds like witchcraft to me. I'm sorry. That sounds like I don't know if God intended for all that stuff thank to go you. together. Oh, thank you. Yeah. They heard me. Yes, <laughs> has arrived. Finally, nectar of the gods. Ah, oh, well, thank you, Tom, again for that. If you are looking uh, for the recipe at Irvin, a wonderfully staged photo of. The I'm sorry, it was called the hyperspace pilot, right? Hyperspace pilot, yeah. Uh, you can find uh, the drink as well as the recipe for this and all the other cocktails that Tom has created for the, the different movies that we have covered. He has also come up so far with two two themed drinks for the first two Indiana Jones movies that uh, we've talked about on the Top Men. Indiana Jones podcast. The second one, the Temple of Doom one, being the most, the easiest, I think, among the easiest out there. Really? Uh, right. uh, well, for you, I mean, that you put, I mean, it was champagne, uh, a, a cube of, of sugar, and um, the red. Bitters. Uh, bitters. Yes, bitters, yeah. which is pretty, pretty small. Well, no, I take it back. I think the good date, the, the first one you did for the for uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is, which is my actually one of my favorites. Um, um, it was also quite quite simple too. But again, if you want to see any of these cocktails, again, Instagram.com forward slash review cocktails. It's R E V U cocktails, where you'll see Tom uh, with all his theme drinks as well as every once in a while coming up with something new. I noticed that you've been you've been a uh, Throwing out a couple extra things here and there. Bonus content, I like to say. It's mostly classic stuff. So it's just like, you know, I, I made a three dots and a dash. I, I make a lot of Mai Tais in my house. Um, I make a, a lot of old fashions. I make a lot of martinis. So, so you know, it, it, it's, it, it's some, I, I think I'm very proud of myself when I make a good martini. I want to throw it out there. So. <laughs> yeah, you should be. You should be. We need, we, a, just... we need a pilgrimage to Tom's house. Yes, down the, go the, hit that liquor cabinet, my friend. Do that, <laughs> and also again, if you're watching the video live stream, we just had a quick appearance by Dexter. There he is. There he is. He, um, <laughs> I can overhear. He was scuffling with my cat. My wife banished him to the, <laughs> which is where I stream from. So he's technically being punished right now. He is. He's like, a, well, he's like the flurkin. You, know, you, you have to hold on to him. Oh, we, yeah. Yeah, just make sure he doesn't to swallow any uh, yeah. tesseracts or anything like that. Yeah. All right. 
Well, uh, going back to Captain Marvel, this is where we get a little bit deeper into things. Uh, I would say, um, I'm first um, for my two minute review, um, echoing what everyone else said. I'll admit, uh, Captain Marvel not not necessarily my favorite of the of the films, but it was the one that came right before Endgame, and we kept expecting there to be one vital piece of the puzzle. You know, how were the Avengers going to beat Thanos? Um, how are they going to take him on after the events of Infinity War? Amazingly, all the pieces would be there, boom, with Ant-Man and the Wasp that would come right before this film and uh, did a lot of setting up as to how things would play out in Endgame. I'm with you, John. I'm a huge fan of Brie Larson and all the other things she's done. I loved her in Scott Pilgrim uh, versus the World. She's great in that bit role. Uh, I think she's uh, she has incredible humor and all. Um, I could see they were trying to bring that out with her in in the in this film. And hell, I don't. Re I, I remember watching it again. I was going, golly. She smiles a lot in this film. <laughs> I think one of the one of the criticisms was, you know, you should smile more. No, she was she smiled quite a bit in in this film, especially in those scenes with Nick Fury. I did like the chemistry that she had, and you see why uh, Fury had so many people loyal to him and willing to, you know, pretty much go to the mat for him like they did. So uh, I, I got I, I enjoyed that. My one problem. If I'm going to have a problem with anything in this movie, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But the revelation of how Nick Fury loses his eye, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like one of the best lines in Avengers, in the first Avengers movie, where he says, the last time I trusted somebody, I lost an eye. And you're like, ooh. It's in Winter Soldier, isn't it? Was that in Winter Soldier? Winter yes, Soldier? in Winter Soldier. Yeah, Winter, okay. Soldier. Winter Soldier is when he exposes it because he has the retina scan on his on his dead eye. Yeah, and they're going, "Ooh, what story is that?" No, let's never, let's never. I never want to know that. I'm gonna. I'm just curious as to what happened when you find out. It's because, and I'm sorry, you never hold a cat up to your face like that. Anyone can tell you that. And even well, that cat was asking to go down. Yes, the cat. <laughs> the wanted... that, that cat. That cat was his friend the entire movie and asked to be put down, and yep. he didn't listen. And he that, wasn't even like for for a scratch that killed his eye. He seemed to be fine. He was he was singing the Marvelites like, <laughs> like five minutes later with a with a gash through his eyelid. <laughs> like it, it didn't hurt him at, at all. But if, uh, Dave and I both know anyone who has cats though. You 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 do not ignore a cat scratch, no matter how little it is. I mean, and that was serious. The fact that it, he did not get any medical attention for it. Was even, even the worse. scrolls wanted him to get medical attention. <laughs> <laughs> and they can change their face whenever they want to. There's that great moment, though, when the Flurkin attacks the Kree and Monica Rambo, I'm sorry, Maria Rambo, just looks at it and goes, okay. Like, yeah, I love that moment. That was, that, those were some great scenes. Because there was, uh, I, I remember at Target when the film was out, there were plush cats where you could squeeze them and the tentacles would shoot out. <laughs> And my son wanted nothing to do with that. I did it once, and he was in the DVD section. <laughs> Elliot, uh, the first time I got scratched at work, I actually got cat scratch fever, which I just uh -huh. thought was a fake thing, like something on the song. But it's oh, real. Did you show up? Yeah, so it, it's... Is that a bad day? 
Yeah, it's um, this was like a, the first couple months of me working there. I've worked there for ten years now, but um, yeah. So I I got scratched. I didn't think anything of it, and then like maybe the next day, I was showering. I felt a lump under my my armpit. I'm like oh, this is kind of scary. There's another one on the like the same side of my arm, lower maybe my elbow area. It's freaking out, of course. I go to like an emergency immediate care thing, and and. <laughs> the guy, uh, the, the doctor goes, before I told him what I did for work, he goes, you work with toxic plants. That was his <laughs> I was like, no, not as such. And I said, well, I do work with animals. And, I, and he said, did you get scratched by a cat recently? And then a little bell went off in my head. It's, oh, yeah, I did. Oh, you probably have cat scratch fever. I've never actually seen it myself, but I'm, I'm probably going to diagnose you with that now. And he gave me antibiotics. Wow. And in a few days, it was it was cleared up. But Ted Nugent um, with the medical advice. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, so I so I learned my lesson that day. Yeah, my girlfriend developed neuropathy from a cat scratch. Oh man, from her favorite cat. <laughs> so wow, if it gets in the system just right, that's harsh. Yeah. It is. <laughs> no, but cat cat scratches and bites are the worst. They all they always get infected. Always. So so that's how tough Nick Fury is. Yeah, <laughs> that he could take a cat scratch and keep on singing, and yet and yet lose his eye. So there pop were, out an know. eye, pop in a new one. It's all good, right? Nick so Fury, just, I got work to do. I forgot about that. I forgot that uh, Agent Coulson brings out a selection of eyes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. John, I was going to ask you, what is the um, the comics explanation for his loss of eye? I don't. I, I actually don't remember. The, the only thing I do know was that. Uh, Nick Fury was created as a World War II comic called uh, Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos, and you see the Howling Commandos in Captain America. And then when they brought him back, they decided to move him about up to the modern era. And it's an issue of Fantastic Four where he first arrives, and that's when they come up with the James Bond angle because mm -hmm. it's, as you well know, it's it's the middle of Bond mania, yeah. and they gave him an eye patch just to make him look different from the other comic, which was still being published. But I actually don't remember the story that explains it. Okay. Elliot? I, I, as a matter of fact, know the story. Garth Ennis would explain it in his uh, Fury miniseries. Oh, so a much later retcon. Yeah. So it's uh, near the end of World War II when Fury is serving and he gets shot in the eye by a, a Nazi soldier. So okay. That's what takes it up. It's so much more interesting to get scratched by a cat. <laughs> I guess. I, I, I agree because it's eye. because it's definitely like he's been playing this up for thirty years. Yeah. That like some super he was on some super secret mission. It's part of his. He recognizes it that it's part of his mystique. So long as he doesn't say anything about it, he doesn't tell any story. People can fill it with their imaginations. I'll be honest, when I when it dawned on me in the theater that that was what he was talking about when he said last time I trusted someone, I laughed my ass off. Because <laughs> for exactly that reason, he wants you to think it's some big, I assumed it had something to do with Robert Redford, that it was some big, like, mysterious, I don't remember, what's Robert Redford's name? I always forget. Pierce. What, yeah, Pierce. I always, Alexander Pierce. I always, I thought it was something to do with that, that something in South America or clandestine spy stuff. No, just cat. Flurking. And he liked thought, that cat too. He was very sweet yeah. to that cat. He did love that cat. He's yeah. very into that cat. But here's <laughs> the thing. Every time we hear guys talking about Captain Marvel, I always hear the same thing, right? Like it was just a little too slow. Like it's just, and I think that for women, it there are things in this movie that resonate with you continually, like over and over and over every few minutes. 
And I don't know, at least for me, and I don't want to speak for all women, but action sequences do not resonate with me. My eyes just kind of glaze over a little bit. I'm like, oh, punching, fighting, kicking, whatever. Um, and then it's, you know, it's the other stuff that I'm much more interested in. So, you know, this movie starts out, the first thing that, that the, the thing about Nick Fury is that he's the first man in that movie, if you notice, that doesn't talk down to her, that doesn't talk to her like she's, you know, a stupid woman. Um, you get the you get the scene of all the guys saying, you know what, it's called a cockpit. Guys telling her she doesn't belong. Boys picking on her. Um, if you're a girl in this country who played with boys growing up like I did, um, which is a lot of girls, right? I mean, we used to say like tomboys, but no, this is most girls these days. Like we grew up with sports. We grew up playing with the neighborhood boys and you get knocked down a lot and you have to keep getting back up. And that scene in the movie where she gets, they show her getting up over and over and over again. Let me tell you, like as a woman working in sports media, that hit me right in the chest. I mean, that was the point in the movie where I started crying because I was like, same reason I started crying in, in the first Wonder Woman movie, because when she goes into no man's land, it's because she's never lived in a world where a woman isn't the strongest, bravest person in the room. That's not a world that women in America have ever been exposed to. And so, you know, there's the guy who tells her to smile more where she's flicking the newspaper up and down. There's, you know, all these things. And the biggest one of all is Jude Law. And I, so many women I know, the scene meant something to them because you have these men who sort of want credit for what you've done and want to say that you're, uh, you're here because of me. And if you can prove to me, then you can move on to the next level. But of course you can never prove it to them because they're always going to be in this position where they want you to be continually full of gratitude and giving them credit. And so all these things, one after another, you just kind of sit there in the theater and you're like, wow, it's not just me. Like it's enough and it's a big enough of a, of a story. And these are, these are shared experiences that they're in a Marvel movie. And as a woman, that's not something I've ever seen before. And I think it's the way that a lot of Black people reacted to, to Black Panther, that you are seeing experiences that resonate with you in a Marvel movie, which have always been traditionally the domain of like white dudes. So to, you know, to me, it wasn't boring. It wasn't slow because I can understand how what a man might not notice to us is a deeply profound experience that someone else is acknowledging. And those are coming every few minutes in this movie. I have to uh, not to steer us off too far off, but I, I do want to. I want to ask you, and we'll if you will come back, please. Absolutely. Because when we talk about She-Hulk, did you watch the She-Hulk series? I okay. didn't. Okay, you're, we're gonna have to. You're gonna have to watch it because there are a lot of points that you're making about this movie I now will. that I'm sure you might have heard a lot of the discussions surrounding She-Hulk. Yeah. Um, and I would love that you know. If, first watch it and then love to have you come back because you, you make you bring up a lot of great points here so i'm just like you know again uh like i'll be honest black panther uh, I, I, was, I was i liked it but it's not like to me one of the all-time best movies but i i will already acknowledge it, black panther was not made for me it just wasn't and marvel's um, at a point where it doesn't have to make movies for everybody to be a success because they are so successful uh, this is a perfect example uh, you and i have already said this movie's not for me and black panther and then shang chi is coming up we'll, we'll discuss that it's another movie made for another audience and just because we are inured in the, the mcu doesn't mean it has to be our favorite movie ever. but the yeah, thing I is like it... whenever your guys say this movie wasn't for me white men say that Every movie wasn't made for us, though, and we still found ways to enjoy them. You know, I mean, 
women have been watching superhero movies forever. Those movies were made for us. Yeah, I, I, I think the movie also does a really good job of telegraphing that or communicating that. I mean, I, I don't have any direct experiences beyond in, in terms of the professional women in professional capacity besides, you know, my wife is a scientist, so she deals with some of that. That's badass. She is badass. She's very <laughs> badass. Um, uh, they do a good job, I think, of telegraphing to the audience. Like, you should kind of pay attention to this. So they do a lots of the little interactions with Jude Law from mm -hmm. the beginning. But they they establish that in the early fight scene. It's It's like literally the first bit of action that you see is that is that hand-to-hand -hand fight scene you know what is you know points to the thing what is given can be taken away which is julie was saying sets up that that uh that metaphor of like well you're here because of me and even if you're not in tune to that uh, as a woman and particularly a woman as a professional setting like i was like i could pick up that like okay pay attention to that and then they keep coming back to that relationship via the the communicator you know, she's phoning it in, you know, she, she rags on Fury for phoning in that they're at the facility to on his pager to his boss when she's talking to her commanding officer, who's like trying to find a hyperspace connection or a, a no, a jump port, a jump, uh, jump, a jump, point. jump point to get to them. Exactly. And they're, he's harping on those same things. You need to control your emotions. You need to do this, you know, which I mean, even for a straight white male, like I knew that that was like immediately pay attention to that as yeah. as something um, as as uh, something that uh, women have to, to deal with as uh, from their male colleagues. So it's harped on repeatedly, and then you get it in the the main fight scene at the climax, and the, you know you could pick up to no doubts just a girl perfectly from that situation as well. Um, and then going into the final, final confrontation where it's, where it's, it becomes then very satisfying where she just, she pulls the, the indie and just shoots him. Before he's even done talking, which is great. Cause this idea of women interrupting men is something that, you know, like you're too emotional, you're too hysterical, don't interrupt. And she's just done with it all. And, and I, I felt that deeply. There are many times I wanted just indie men that I worked with. Just, shut up. <laughs> just, just quiet. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say that, that um, I, I did like the one point that as I was watching it again, uh, two very clever uh, storytelling bits, what you alluded to, Tom, the bit on her neck, which in the beginning is, presented if you're without any real context well you would assume it was them giving her those powers that was there to give her the power then you find out it wasn't there to give her power it was there to inhibit her and throughout the film we keep seeing carol danvers remembering the times she's fallen she's fallen she's fallen but when we get to the climax at the end it's like something clicks and she goes Yes, I've fallen, but every time I've gotten back up, and you see it, boom, boom, boom. Now they're going, okay, that was that was that that was pretty cool, you know, the, that they knitted that whole sequence together to make a, a nice, um, um, well, to make a good point there, but also, as you're saying, Julie, to express something that 
kind of you're gonna feel or they would think there there are a lot of women in the audience who feel this way yeah and also when you know they're telling her constantly throughout the beginning of the movie we saved you you are this way because of us and at one point and jude law specifically keeps saying because of me and you know at one point she realizes it's not coming from him it's coming from them and wow i'll tell you it's coming from inside it's coming from herself and um you know having been a woman who worked on sports radio there are plenty of men who wanted to take credit for where I was and it didn't have anything to do with them. It had to do with me. And I, I felt that scene very deeply that went right through me. She didn't um, even need to be there for him to take credit. That's how he f figures out that he's talking to a scroll. Mm -hmm. Which was the scene I forgot. He said, he, yeah. cause he's, he's asking her questions that only the real one know. And then she said, yeah, I remember the blue blood going through and he goes, whose blood? She goes, mm. and, then, and then he attacks her because she didn't give him the credit he deserved. Yeah, I think that's right. <sighs> what about what? What, uh, Julie? What did you think about Annette Benning in this role? Because she does two roles. She does the she does uh, Marvell, yeah, as the scientist, but then she puts on the face of the Cree supreme intelligence. So she's almost kind of taking the Jude Law line. But it's, it's not really her, right? I mean, no, it's, it's not really. Yeah. Her. Yeah. You know, I thought it was um, a really cruel bit of manipulation because I think especially in, like I said, male dominated industries, it's so difficult for women to find each other, first of all, which is why her relationship with Maria and with Monica are so special that there she does have another woman who's going through this with her. Um, but especially to have female mentors, especially in fields like you know, being a, being a naval pilot or being an Air Force pilot, um, having someone who's already been there, who is to conserve as a mentor role to you, um, it's so rare and such a precious thing. And for them to, for the Cree to exploit that to control her, I, I thought was especially cruel. I thought Annette Benning was great in this. I mean, who doesn't want an Annette Benning to follow around and tell you, you know, pick you up on your bad days and tell you how great you're doing and tell you, you know, what a rock star you are um, and how you're, you know, you're doing this job because you're the best at it, not because, you know, I could have picked anybody. I, and those are such powerful things for women because we hear that so rarely. And um, yeah, I mean, that was my thought was that it's so cruel that they use that to manipulate her. And then you get the double whammy at the end with the jacket and the the, the, yeah. the Nirvana song and everything like that. Yeah. And it's yeah. Um, it should be noted that in the comic books, the supreme intelligence looks like a giant green blob with tentacles. Um, so Annette Belling was definitely an upgrade uh, <laughs> yeah. from the comics on that. Definitely a better choice. Yeah. There's a few steps past Modoc is the supreme intelligence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ugh. I haven't. I have yet to see uh, Quantum Mania, so Are I have not. Uh, Tom, have you seen it? I haven't seen it yet. No. I was going to say Elliot's the straggler, but it dropped seventy percent in its second weekend, and here's one reason. Yeah, yeah Modoc. Yeah. We have a people. podcast about this, and, and and half of the half of the panel is like, yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Hey, you know what? I don't think quantum mania was made for me. I, I really don't. No, they took well, out you're the not one a tiny Latino. molecule guy. I they took know. out the one Latino. They took him out. There's like there was one <sighs> Latino. They didn't even have him in this one. So obviously not for me. You know. So yeah, I know Julie. Yeah, exactly. and there's no three wombats. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, he's not in it. He's not in this one. Son of a bitch. Michael Pena's not in it. Nope. No. What am I going for? I'm not going to. Yes! He's the best part of the whole thing, waiting for his recaps. 
Yep. The only the only one of them in it is David Dasmalchin plays a different character. Yeah. What? So he does the voice of a CG character, but he's the only one of them that comes back. Ti's uh, name. I don't like that. Yeah. I don't like that. I'm still it. mad. Judy Greer's not in it. Yeah. Yeah. A couple interesting things as, as, as I was watching this, of course, the next Disney Plus show to be coming out this year will be Secret Invasion. Um, and uh, there was a lot in this particular film that sets up Secret Invasion, uh, the Skrulls. Um, and then we're going to be seeing the Marvels coming out soon. Uh, Julie, have you seen Ms. Marvel? Okay, we're gonna need to get you caught up, girlfriend. Here's the we're problem. We need to get her a Disney Plus subscription, apparently. Yeah. Once we got past Endgame, I just sort of checked out. It just <laughs> the multiverse is just. I, I love Loki, but the and I love Wandavision, but the multiverse for me is just really hard to wrap my head around. And I've just sort of put them all off. Like I'm assuming I'll just take a weekend and like binge them all straight through once they're all streaming. But yeah, I haven't been able to get myself to go. Well, there's a that, lot of good stuff, but I feel like after Endgame, it's like it's like the lights have come on after Last Call. It's yeah. like everything kind of feels like you're sweeping up. It, it, it's like you went away for the weekend and you went to this like amazing party on Saturday and everything since Endgame has been the Sunday morning in the hotel. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> like I'm seeing a lot of the same people. It's pretty good. And I hate you for asking me that because I'm always yelling at people how they need to support women and have their own series and you have to watch it. And I'm always like, we have to go out and support, you know, this actress because our movie is opening today. We have to go support Viola Davis because Woman King is out. And then I and then I don't watch the two that I literally have on my TV 10 feet away from me. I would say, well, make sure watch it. I really think, though, the reason I want I really want you to watch She-Hulk is because you were also a lawyer. Mind you. She-Hulk has as much to do about law as ER had to do with or Jam General Jamila Hospital. Jamel's in it too, and I adore her. Yes. She-Hulk so. is really fun. I will watch it. I, I will watch I enjoyed it. the hell out of She-Hulk. It's just, you guys, you know, there's so much. I mean, there's, you know, there was The Last of Us, and there's, you know, Mandalorian, and you know, there's just, there's so much happening. I, w- I was talking to my parents the other day, we always talk about what we're watching, and I hung up on them and went, oh yeah, Poker Face. There's <laughs> yeah, so Poker much Face. Oh, there's, poker I face just discovered The Great British Bake Off. Yeah. Like, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot you want to talk about a female-led series, that's great. Poker Face is really Yeah, Poker, poker Face is, yeah, I agree. It's great. And uh, Ted Lasso comes back this week. Yeah, too. tonight. And Shrinking was amazing. Shrinking has been just, fun. Yeah. Too much happening. <sighs> yeah, so I'm with you, uh, uh, Julie. I've been the same way about post Endgame. As you said, John, it was fun. I was like, you know, there's a lot of stuff coming up now that I'm not sure. Again, and uh, I will say this about a lot of stuff that's happening with, with the post Endgame stuff. You know, the the shows, the movies, I'm like, eh, not so much for me, but that's fine. It doesn't have to necessarily be for me. I'll well, enjoy Disney, it. And Disney knows that. Bob Iger this week came out and said, we're going to do less sequels. He's like, we're going to do a little less Marvel. We're going to do a little less Star Wars. And we're definitely doing less sequels. You know, I saw Love and Thunder and I so, I mean, Ragnarok is probably my second favorite after Winter Soldier. And um, I so wanted another Ragnarok, and it just wasn't. And there were moments that I laughed, you know, and stuff, but I don't know. Stuff's starting to feel a little thin. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with Love and Thunder. It's going to be an interesting episode because the only thing I could point to was like Taki Watiti's in everything. And I'm like, I don't think he's, I don't think he gave this as much attention as he gave Ragnarok. Maybe. 
All I know, was a all over the place. Well, well yeah. before we get to Love and Thunder, mind you, the drink that Tom created for the Dark World was probably one of the most potent uh, <laughs> drinks he's ever done. So we're probably going to need something really potent for uh, for uh, Love and Thunder. Because <laughs> if I got to watch that one again. <laughs> I so, laughed. I mean, you know, I saw it in one of those places where you can order food and stuff, and you know, so in drinks. So I was laughing. You know, it was enjoyable. But like Ragnarok is like it's on you know TBS like every weekend, and that's one that I, I watch it every single time it's on, and I laugh you, in all the same places. Yeah, you can sit down. It can be at any point. You can sit down and watch yeah. it and like enjoy it. Unlike Love and Thunder, where and Dave is going to have to listen to me complain about this ad nauseum. Uh, we went to see it at the Pickwick. <laughs> on the opening week and and for the second time in a row the pickwick let me down because this wasn't time, that where I, you had your disastrous no time to die screening the, the disastrous no time to die hey, what happened when you saw thor i don't remember anything going awry the yes because you didn't hear the freaking teenagers that were sitting off on my uh, left shoulder yapping throughout the whole movie i had oh. teenagers thrown out in the middle of love and thunder yeah see it was, but it was it was a bad teenager movie. They were probably the same teenagers too. They were probably hitting all the, the, the theaters. Teenagers <laughs> love Natalie Portman with cancer. Oh, oh, oh wow! Because teenagers, so, teenagers are mean. Why are they so loud too? I'm just always like, just stop yelling. Why? Did we they yell were. that much as we just teenagers? Yes. No, uh, most are certainly not. We did not yell that yeah, much. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I probably did too. <laughs> I started a band in junior year. I yelled. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Let's get back on the movie, but get back on, on track here. Uh, again, for those who are just uh, tuning in now and watching the MCU review for the first time, uh, this is the show when we talk all about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've started with Iron Man all the way to present. Today, we are talking about Captain Marvel. Uh, the film that would uh, uh, bring us into Avengers Endgame and the end of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Phase 4. Three, uh, yeah. Although, I think, uh, what was it? It's 3. Phase 3, right. We uh, just but, but finished Phase 4. We just, okay. Uh, we're uh, Phase 3, but um, I think uh, Spider-Man, uh, was it No Way Home? No Way Home. Would be what the epilogue of Phase Three, or uh, Far begin? From Home, is the epilogue. Far, Far from, from Home. The, I'm sorry. Whatever. The one with Jay Chilenol is the epilogue to Three. To Three. Got it. Okay. So because Phase Four the, is all about the multiverse, and No it. Way Home is a major multiverse. Got it. Uh, so uh, we're talking about the films. We every week we have our MCU review crew chime in, uh, have a custom cocktail, and a special guest today, Julie DeCaro. Uh, Peabody Award winning author, uh, radio commentator, sports writer, editor at Deadspin. I'm okay. the EIC at Deadspin. The EIC. Okay. Okay. I have to <laughs> ask you about this. Okay. Okay. And because um, I'm sorry. I mean, oh, I trust me, I've been following everything. And there is a special brand of troll that that chimes in on, on the Deadspin Facebook page all the freaking time. Yeah, I swear to God, it's like for uh, for folks who do nothing but critical, I go. They spend a hell of a lot of time reading everything and then bitching about it. Yeah, like uh, I'm just curious, is it as bad as it looks like on my side? Just 
reading and all that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty bad. Um, we, I mean, I definitely just don't even look at any of the comments anymore, which is a shame because, you know, you'd like to interact with your audience and I've always done that, but um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's bad. It's not sincere. Um, it's, you know, selective outrage about things that they know that people know nothing about. There's, you know, the people on the right hate us because they think we're like woke libtards. And then the people on the left think that we're somehow like not woke enough and that we're all scabs. And so, you know, we've really just started doing our thing and ignoring everybody. My, my favorite, my favorite thing now is like, apparently Deadspin is obsessed with Aaron Rodgers. Yes. That's and me. Like, yeah. Oh, it's you. Okay. I'm writing. <laughs> You're writing. Uh, well, everybody's talking about freaking Aaron Rodgers. I, mean, I wrote, I'm writing the thing that cattle that tracks all the stupid things he does and says. Yeah. Every day, pretty much. That's me. I'm yeah. obsessed with making fun of Aaron Rodgers. I rarely write about him seriously. I, I can't see how any Bears fan would take issue with that. No, no, no. And, and not just Bears fans, every fan has been very receptive to it. Yeah. He'd be a great villain for the MCU. Oh God. Cause he's so, it's like when, it's like when, do you guys watch WWE? Yeah. It's like when Daniel Bryan turned heel and was, um, you know, doing the like woke hero, like eco warrior kind of thing. He's just so convinced that he's right. Which I guess is what makes a good super villain. Right. I mean, Thanos, Magneto. Magneto yeah. yeah. Killmonger. Killmonger. Technically, yeah. the Kree in this movie are really yeah. convinced they're right because they're bombing a bunch of refugees into extinction. Tom keeps trying to pull it back to the actual movie. <laughs> we well, thank you for bringing that up because it's like, uh, again, for, for a bit of perspective, too, this movie came out during the <clears throat> previous administration. And I remember watching this and going, oh, my God, they've taken shots at the president of the time. And I was expecting their, I was expecting the MAGAs to go nuts about the whole thing. Um, uh, you know, when one of the Cree refers to uh, Earth as a shithole planet. You got to oh, understand yeah. metaphor and able to do that. And that's, <laughs> not gonna get that too. that's too, uh, they're, they're not going to catch that. It took place during the Clinton era. MAGAs are ready to blame Clinton for just about yes. anything. <laughs> He wasn't even president then, idiot. <laughs> so I was just, I was, I was saying, oh my God, I remember that now. That that was really, it was ridiculous, but still. Can you um, well, shout out to Ben Mendelsohn for yeah. being two amazing roles in a row, this and Rogue One. Um, he's so great as Talos, and he just it winds up being so charming and lovable. Not what I expected. That's that was the turn, though. I, I have to admit, it kind of threw me off because there's a point when Mendelssohn's character, you know, appears in his disguise, and you're thinking, "Ooh, nefarious undercover," you know, he's he's up to bad bad things. And then all of a sudden, there's a comedic turn that takes place, and his character is now, you know, kind of like not goofy but disarming in a way. And waka waka waka. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like. Huh? And I was even saying that, going, holy shit, this is Krennic from Rogue One. <laughs> you know, and I hated Krennic in this Rogue is Jagged One. Jagged from yeah. Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. You could pinpoint yeah. the exact moment that turn happens. It's when he, he lifts the, uh, the 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 soda to take a sip out of it. Yes. Which is like straight out of a Tarant, which is like straight out of Pulp Fiction. That felt like a Tarant. That felt like 
uh, I don't uh, uh, like a nod to Tarantino and Pulp Fiction. Yes, exactly, because you had Samuel L. Jackson. Um, you, it's it's hinted a little bit when when they do the alien autopsy. Yeah, you know when he's all tender to his um, to his dead comrade. Great little joke there about Samuel L. Jackson checking out the what's under the sheet. Yes, <laughs> just yeah. To like yeah, just, yeah. To, just to see what's there. But that that little tender moment kind of fills you in of like, well, maybe things aren't a you know a little more super sympathetic villain. And even when they're going through Carol's past memories in the beginning of the movie, you know, there's there's a few moments here and there where he's just like, I didn't put this stuff in your head or anything like that, where he's mm -hmm. trying he says, to What did you put in your head? And he says nothing that wasn't already there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is the first story I've even seen that um, puts the scrolls in a positive light. The scrolls are the original evil aliens that are in Fantastic Four number two. Fantastic Four, of course, being the first Marvel comic. And they've always been played as shifty, nefarious. They're, uh, you know, an analogs for spies. Secret Invasion, as you said, which will be a series, was a huge crossover of the entire Marvel Universe in 2008 of, like, who's a scroll? Who's not a scroll? Um, I've never seen a story that ever sympathized with a scroll before. Uh, that, you and George married a scroll and they didn't play her in a positive light. No, she well, didn't she end up betraying him at some point? Yeah, she was a retcon too because Human Torch married uh Thing's girlfriend, and then everybody realized that was a bad movie. Oh, yeah, oh, no, no, they were like, Well, it wasn't Thing's girlfriend, it was a scroll. <laughs> uh, no, but that would be the well, yes, of course, Fantastic Four number two would come out during the, the big space race. It was the, the red scare, the, the scrolls were. Uh, you know, yes, as you said, uh, uh, symbolic of we're being spied on. We can't trust who we're, who's next to us. Same thing as in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. One of, to me, one of the most underappreciated movie sequels out there. I'm <laughs> plugging the Top Men Indiana Jones podcast and giving you a taste of what I'm going to be saying. And if you're looking at the video. My the my co-hosts are like, uh, what? <laughs> That's another one I like. I, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for bad sequels, so you and I are like Elliot. <laughs> it's the Moonraker of Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> wow. That first it's, half an hour is pretty fun. You know, it, no, it it I think it makes a really poignant point though, um, that you know what what you find out about people that are different from you when you're actually on the ground is different than what you're told by the government and you know people in the media and you know it, it's much different i mean i went to pakistan a couple of years ago expecting to go to this country where you know I, I was daniel pearl and we had to be you know i'd watch every second that someone didn't grab us and throw us in a van and i got there and it was nothing like that it was lovely i i wasn't concerned for my safety one single second that i was there um, so like, I mean, I, I thought of that was sort of hearkening back to all the demonization of, of Muslim Americans and the demonization of immigrants and everyone who's different than us around the world. And I really kind of like that part of this movie. Specifically on the refugee aspect, because mm -hmm. that was, that was a particular flashpoint of the, the, the politics, uh, you know, yeah. um, at that time. And then also to find out that you know, you have a Cree defector in, a, in this case, in um, Annette Benning's character, who is helping these, uh, supposedly their mortal enemy. Uh, very, very, 
clever as far as what Willie goes. Oh, it's it's not a weapon. They're trying to just get them away from Jude Law's character and and all of and all of uh, and uh, oh um, and Ronan the Accuser shows up again. You know, oh. whether and it is Lee Pace. I didn't realize. I I have to check the. The, the credits to make sure it was Lee Pace. Lee Pace in full makeup is just the crime of the century. <laughs> Speaking for the women out there. He had a block smeared on his face that he did in Guardians. That's why it was hard to recognize him. Yeah. <laughs> because in the first scene of Guardians, he smears that black stuff on his face and then that becomes his look. Yeah. No, I know. I see that. Uh, you're right, Julie. I see. Well, like whenever what what they did with uh, Oscar Isaac in X Men Apocalypse is like mm -hmm. seriously what they did to Apocalypse in X Men Apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> There's a podcast right there. True. But those are the best villains. I mean, it's such a simple, like you know, obvious point to make. But I mean, like yeah, it's another superhero that you're like I kind of or a villain that you're kind of like I kind of get where you're coming from though. Like I I kind of yeah I see it. <laughs> uh, the Skrulls though, yeah, tend were the biggest. Um, the, we're one of the top villains in, the, in Marvel. And I have a feeling that's what they want to do with Secret Invasion, that they're going to try to up. It's I know it's, it's going to be like a faction of the Skrulls that, you know, are deciding they don't want to live in peace. They're like, they're like the, um, uh, the, the terrorist sect, uh, the, 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 my dog's ch chiming in, the, the Palestinian um, terrorist group, um, Hamas. Hamas. They're like, oh, these are like yeah. Hamas, you know, but the, most of Palestine, they want, they, they're freaking, please, we just want to live in peace. We want to, but you have these, you know, radicals who just, no, can only come through us doing this. So well, I, think probably could be, be, I think it could be the opposite. I think it could be the Talos group because they weren't soldiers. And they, they say, yeah. like, look, these are children. These are obviously not soldiers. I think they're going to, I think they're going to be the faction, but the government, of the scrolls, I think is going to be an invading army in the same way of um, Picard, which we've been talking about constantly on Capitanity Comics. Uh, at the end of season two, Allison Pill becomes the Borg queen, and in season three, they go, "Yeah, that was a faction of the Borg. The Borg is still awful." Mm. Have you been watching Picard, Julie? I don't do Star Trek. Well, oh. I know. I saw. I saw. Just I see all your faces. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. I, let me tell you why. When I was a kid, my dad always made me watch Star Trek, and I was so uncomfortable in the Captain Kirk kissing scenes ah. that it turned me off. Like six, I'm still like when people kiss on screen, I'm still like super cringy about it. Oh, and um, yeah, that turned me off at a really young age. I I recognize it's I recognize its place and why so many people like it. Um, yes. Star Trek or kissing on screen. Oh. That makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it, as a little kid, it was just, it was so cringy to me. And I just never picked it back up. And I know that, like, you know, Deep Space Nine and Next Generation and stuff are, are like hugely important to people that I know. And well, I, I appreciate that. In a, in a similar fashion, Julie, uh, one of my, in, during my formative years, um, I, I got a very strange impression of what kissing actually was by watching Roger Moore kiss on oh, any wow. James Bond movie. Yeah. Where I, I thought you were literally supposed to put your lips up to the woman's face and like try to suck her in. like, a, And then go like this with your head. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I've yes. always likened it to it's like he's sucking a very thick milkshake. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like this day, when I see people kissing. 
when like he's when he's pushing 60 and the women are still in like in their early 20s yeah so when he's kissing and then you just see all the the age lines in his face it's just it's rough yeah. and i love roger Moore though so yeah i don't want to speak ill of the dead to this no. day when i see people kissing on film i'm just like oh no kissing like it's just <laughs> it's just so uncomfortable for me to watch i don't know why oh, deeper to childhood trauma no, no, I get you, and then you know, then and then every once in a while, you, you what? I, I'm sorry, I've turned this into a kissing podcast now, but <laughs> <laughs> we will we will write the kissing in the MCU. To, this to is me, what happens when I do a podcast about Captain Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Whenever I say I don't watch Star Trek, everyone has the exact same reaction that you guys all did. I just watch simultaneously. Your faces just darken. Well, and like I, that's that's typically what it looks like. I said, Dave, you're not a big Star Trek fan. No, not no. And I, I just went start went all in on Star Wars and yeah, yeah. yeah. I've act, I've actually have uh, I've actually gotten more into Star Trek these days than Star Wars. I'm getting a little fatigued from Star Wars. And a friend of mine told me it was a sign of maturity that I actually preferred Star Trek over Star Wars <laughs> because um, it's like it 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 it's it's. The, the reality is that even the title is starting to depress me, that it's always, you can never have star peace. It's always, <laughs> it's like they're constantly in a state of war, 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 war. That's what threw me about Force Awakens. Like when Force Awakens started and the Stone Troopers were like coming in, I'm like, already? Like, we didn't <laughs> I get know. <laughs> this is the next thing after Jedi and we're, yeah. we're already in the worst place. I thought, I thought. I thought they, it was over. It's been oh. like, what, like 19 years or something? We're already back. They've already built another Death Star, only at this time yeah. it's a whole planet? Come on. Yeah, so. We need like a Star Wars, like like with She-Hulk being a lawyer, like a funny lawyer show. We need Star Wars, like, lawyer show. They came up with an actual animated show. It was going to be called Star Wars Detours. It was going yeah. to be comedy. Completely produced and ready to go. Uh, Disney canceled it. They shelved it. We're hmm. probably... Who knows what they're at Star Trek hired a Rick and Morty guy to create a brilliant animated series. Yes, yeah. I've seen I've seen lots of lower decks and that's yeah. But the, uh, I don't know if they've done anything like that. What's the equivalent of that? I guess the equivalent of that in the MCU would be She-Hulk. I guess that would like the Well, She-Hulk, uh, I Julie, I will recommend that because it's more of a comedy and it's not so uh you don't have to know all the MCU stuff. I've heard Although, it's great, it's on my list, it's just you know, there's okay. some stuff in front of it. Okay, yeah, so do you do not have to have watched like Endgame to get into she you could start She Hulk episode one and mm -hmm. not be like, wait, that person was in this, this happened there. It's pretty self-contained. Although yeah. although when you realize that Man Bull and El Aguila, who seem incredibly cheesy in this show, the those are very faithful interpretations of the comic book characters on She Hulk. <laughs> I'm like Oh man, those look really cheesy. Then I went back and looked at the handbook of the Marvel Universe. I'm like, oh nope, that's exactly what he looks like in a comic book. So no, can't criticize that. <laughs> well, I think it's just, well, the, the criticism of like is something comic accurate or things like that. I, you know, I I get that, but I do feel like when it comes to this movie, that this movie is a great example of like Twitter is not real life because of all the the criticism that came down for it of like well you this isn't like we talk about the scrolls being sympathetic that's not remotely comic book accurate um 
you know, of, of I guess we we have gender flipped uh, Marvel, the original Captain Marvel, and and come up with a new origin story for that character. Um, but all the the stuff, a lot of the stuff they changed was the best parts of the movie, and I I think that a, a lot of the a lot of the discord on on social media is I don't want to say overblown because but it's just not it's not it doesn't penetrate yeah society as much because the movie made a billion dollars it reminds me of um like you know stuff that happens on twitter or like this person's been canceled canceled and then you go out into the world and you talk about it just other people and they're just sort of like i don't, I don't know what you're talking about like i've never heard that and you're just like right. wow it's it's been trending at the top of twitter for three days and they're just like i don't i don't know or the, the internet finding weird reasons to hate on brie larson like i i don't yeah. get it yeah, she's uh, mentioned that the, the, the thing that a lot of times I'm, I'm, I'm rarely on Twitter. The only time I go on Twitter is to like plug the podcast or share a link. But um, the reality is that Twitter uh, has way fewer uh, users than Facebook. And the majority of people on the planet are not on Twitter. And the only time you ever hear about big things on Twitter is when traditional media talks about it. Um, mm -hmm. And then that's and that, best around. That's part of the problem is that like Twitter isn't that isn't that important, but every journalist in the world is on it. Right. So they're right. constantly telling you it's important. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So beyond that, uh, uh, to the point, as you were saying, uh, Tom, uh, that they do change a lot of things. Uh, I'll say it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's a lesson that uh, I learned uh, on Shaken, Not Heard. The James Bond movies are so loosely related to the original books. They just took different parts from different books to make them into the movie. So if you were a James Bond fan and you were okay with that, um, there shouldn't be any, uh, you shouldn't have any problems with them doing the same things with the comic books where, yeah, I mean, it's much, there's so many different versions of different stories that have done in Marvel. Like they did, they did the scrolls one day, then they retcon them, then they'd bring them back and they retcon that. There's so much to draw from, as you said, Tom. They took the good stuff, put it into the put it into the movie, and to make it accessible for folks who didn't read the comics. Although I did enjoy seeing uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick, quick, uh, real quick cameo. Yeah, uh, she's in the train station. She's in the train station. Yeah, because uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick had the defining run on Captain Marvel, which a lot of this movie is based on. And that, if you want to read Captain Marvel comics with Carol Danvers, it's the Kelly Sue DeConnick. Uh, written books you really want to go for. Speaking of the comics, John, were there any Captain Marvel toys produced? There were, and I can't find any in my collection, which is probably <laughs> also bad. <laughs> but there was a Marvel Legends line, which was half comic, half um, half movie. It uh, didn't include a lot of characters. It included uh, Carol Danvers, both in the leather jacket and without the leather jacket. There was, I believe, a Target exclusive where she was lit up. She was in translucent orange to show uh, that she was in her powerful mode. There were a couple of the Kree soldiers. There was a Talos. And then the others were like Iron Man villains. And the builder figure was actually a Jack Kirby Kree robot from the Fantastic Four. So it was one of those where I think they went into it thinking it wasn't going to be that big. We talked about this with Ant-Man. Like they didn't even bother filling up the whole series with the movie. But then... Once the movie really took off, those figures disappeared.
That's surprising because I thought with all of the uh, with the Cree uh, Star Force, they would have tried to do like the, the, all those characters were just so individualized yeah, they, that it seemed like they were made for action figures. I know they did Yamrock, uh, they did the uh, Jude Law, but he's wearing a helmet, so they didn't even do his likeness. And then they did the the female Cree, the one that hated her, Gemma uh, Chan's character. Yeah, yeah, she wasn't. She was another exclusive and. Uh, they also did um, Captain Marvel in the green outfit, so it was a, a repaint of that one. That but I also remember this movie came out in February, so even though Black Panther also came out in February and made a billion dollars, February is not the blockbuster season. These were both – and then the Wasp was later summer, and then this was February. They thought these would be the smaller films to tide us over until Endgame. Which, when we get into Endgame, is true in a storytelling sense, but this movie did – much better than they thought it was going to. Speaking of Carol Danvers in the leather jacket, I forgot to mention that scene when she shows up, she stole the biker guy's dude uh, outfit. She's wearing the nine inch nails t-shirt with, mm-hmm. the, with the biker jacket over it. And she walks into the bar. I was like, oh my God, I've been dumped by her. <laughs> <laughs> she reminded you know me of a gal I used to date. I'm like, God damn it. You know what? You, you, you shouldn't focus on being dumped by her you should be proud that you got to go out with her that is true that i i have to say it was it was great while it lasted but again she could do better anyway <laughs> all right oh we're climbing up on uh, the hour and a half mark so this is where we get into our closing thoughts uh anything that we did not get a chance uh to go into any observations any things about captain marvel uh, that we wanted to share before we draw this to a close. Dave, you've been really quiet, so I'm going to let you go first. Um, this is a this is you know, again, not one of my favorites, but one I enjoy. Um, you know, when I do my next inevitable Marvel rewatch, whether it's you know, a year from now, a couple years from now, uh, you know, I'm, I'll look forward to seeing this one again. Um, I think she's a she's an interesting character. And uh, I thought it was, again, it was, it was kind of cool how they filled in some of the, the holes and gaps from previous films, from uh, previous stories and the storylines in the MCU um, to kind of inform what was going to happen next. Um, Tom mentioned a great point about the, the chemistry between Brie Larson and uh, Samuel Jackson. And uh, it's kind of cool seeing him with a full head of hair, too. <laughs> and, not a, and not a wig to make it look yeah. like an afro. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, uh, I, I would take a minute to kind of talk about um, this movie looks really good, too, as far as the the, the, the camera work, the the early CGI shots of uh, Hala are nicely layered and constructed, but they do that great like Star Wars thing of like, oh, you're on you're on a train, you're on you're on a subway train. So, you know, showing a kind of a grimier side of a big city in space is I'm always a sucker for that. That's always great. Um, seeing 90s L.A., that, a lot of that the footage was very L.A., I felt like and the knowing Marvel, they probably shot that in Atlanta. But it, it seemed very L.A. to me when I was watching that. Uh, so I enjoyed that. I, th- I think the way that the movie looks is terrific, even in some of the interior spaceship scenes are really good too um, in terms of getting the lighting and then getting the effect and using her powers. Um, the climax of, because Captain Marvel is so overpowered. She's basically like Superman level of overpowered. Um, 
and the way they built it up of like she's got the restrictor plate and adding to it a little bit a little bit a little bit a little bit and then she's you know blasting through starships uh at the very end and it's not um john you had what was the one line a few weeks ago from everybody somebody feed phil oh, the, the drawings are fighting oh, again yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Phil Rosenthal created uh, Everybody Loves Raymond had a quote on a podcast that's always stuck with me. When everyone was talking about Black Panther, he's like, you know, I liked it, but at the end, you're like, oh, no, the drawings are fighting. <laughs> yeah, this didn't feel like that to me. It, it you know, it, it felt more, you know, I don't, I don't know, but the, but it, it felt much more real or authentic given how cosmic it was. So hats off to uh, the animators and the cinematographers and everyone who worked on that and whoever, whoever's idea it was to put Elastica in this on the soundtrack also hats off to that decision as well. Uh, this movie is going to be one of the last of the Marvel films that does not suffer from CGI or um, I'm sorry, CGI studio burnout. Um, like as you guys say, they, end game. End game will be the last one. Then after that, you're going to start seeing the quality degrade. Was that an issue with uh, No Way Home? I remember that looking pretty good. I think No Way Home looks really good, but we've been reading a lot of reports on how uh, worn out and underpaid the effects houses are. How yeah. uh, Marvel has made these massive changes because they're constantly rewriting the stories and going like, yeah, this character is this character and not pushing back the deadline, not, not adding to the budget. And it's, it's a major point in the effects houses talking about unionization. You'll definitely see it in multiverse of madness. I know that. Yeah. Uh, John. Um, I'm more grateful for this conversation. Cause as I said, this was a movie that, uh, going into it even today and i've seen it a couple of times i was like okay this is an important character to have in the mcu but is this an important movie to watch and i think uh especially talking to you julie um it's been really eye-opening as much as like i i don't think i'm uh, allowed to just dismiss and go ah not for me <laughs> you know i think there is a lot in this and i am somebody that embraces the mcu and i think uh i think i was able to I think my next viewing of this will be a lot more open than my last viewing of it. Uh, the one thing I'll mention is this Stanley cameo. This is the second to last Stanley cameo. Stanley had already passed away, I believe, at this point. Uh, but he had banked a few. Endgame will be the final one. But this is the most Stanley Stanley cameo because it's literally Stanley in the 90s reading his part to Mallrats in L.A. And he... And he is at the point now where he said in interviews he couldn't even see the Marvel movies in the screenings anymore. Like his his eyesight had gone to to that point. Um, but he just looks up and smiles, and you're like, ah, oh, you're you're kind of getting ready to say goodbye. So it's uh, it's a nice little moment. It's almost like not only do we get Stan Lee, but this time he's not a watcher, he's not a FedEx uh, the delivery guy. He's Stan. And you will see that uh, when you look at the Marvel uh, the Marvel logo in the beginning, when they normally show all the different heroes, and this one it was just every Stanley cameo um, in the Marvel logo in the very beginning. Yeah, yeah this the, comes right after um, a franchise we don't talk about. This comes right after Into the Spider Verse, which I think is maybe the most touching Stanley dialogue. Yeah, yeah. And Julie. 
I was going to bring up the cameo because I do love it. And I love the look that Brie Larson gives him back, which mm. is just sort of acknowledging everything he's given. Um, I just thought it's really cool. Um, one of the things we didn't talk about quickly was how um, Carol does not get, Veers does not get along with the other woman um, in the Kree group that she's fighting with, which I think is something else that women, uh, and, you know, acknowledge and have experience with that when you are the only two women there, oftentimes those women don't get along because you are in competition with each other because you know they're going to pick one woman, you know, to be on the show or be on the air or be whatever. And so we both want to be that woman. So I thought that, I thought the acknowledgement of that was cool. And um, one of the few, not just Marvel movies or superhero movies, but movies in general that passes the Bechdel test. You've got women in this movie talking to each other all the time and it has nothing to do with men. The men in the story are almost incidental in a way. It's, it's Maria and it's Marvell and it's Carol. Um, throughout the whole thing. So, I mean, I, to me, I, to me, that is what drove so much of the backlash that you don't really need the men in this movie. Like the three of them could have figured out, I mean, you need Nick Fury, I guess, but you know, it's really the three of them driving the story. And I think that is why so many men were so upset by it. Dude's got to, dudes have got to like my favorite. It's one of my favorite lines from Ted Lasso when, uh, when, uh, Ted tells, uh, 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 Dunster's character, Jamie, that that when him and Roy are having a problem, he goes, you two need to get together and woman up. And he goes, don't you mean man up? He goes, no, nah, you guys have been manning up this whole time and it hasn't worked. You know, you had a woman up. So, um, uh, it's that I've been watching um, History of the World Part 2 on Hulu, which is, it, it's uneven, it's up and down, but there's a scene where uh, all the, where the church gathers together in like 400 BC, and they decide in a committee meeting that Jesus is going to be white, <laughs> going to be ripped, and uh, and uh, Jillian Bell is is like moderating, and at the end she goes, "Yeah, I'm glad you're happy. It's really good when it works out for white men in power." And they come to Ken Marino goes, "Yeah, you know, it really does." <laughs> and it, it, that's the backlash against Captain Marvel. It's like yeah. it's like. White guys have been given 20 of these movies. And yeah. to be upset about this one is just is yeah, beyond reproach. Yeah, there's one woman in Star Wars. There's one woman yeah. in Star Wars. And guys woman. didn't get yeah, the sister of one of the men so she can be with the other one of the men. <laughs> yeah, but so. I gotta say, as a little girl, seeing a woman who was not only like with the boys, but was kicking their asses and giving them orders was <laughs> Amazing. Which is, I, always, I always wonder if she would have been the same character if she wasn't Carrie Fisher, because that was like Carrie Fisher every no. day her life. No, that's a, not even a question. You need you need Carrie Fisher's specific combination of of acting chops and absence of fucks in order to to, to get <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, and this is a time when little girls are still being told, "Don't be bossy, don't be a know-it-all." Boys don't like girls who are smarter than you than they are. Um, you know, don't don't be pushy, don't interrupt. And she did all of that. And she was a princess on top of it. It was amazing. Uh, you're coming back, right, Julie? Anytime. All right. Because I think you you have a lot more you want to say. But you've been so kind. I don't want to um, I don't want to uh, monopolize your time. And it's I know it's getting late. So before we all go. Uh, let's go around the horn and say what our socials are. What are we up to next? And where can people find us? Julie, lead us off. 
Um, I am at Julie DeCaro across the board. So whether it's Snapchat or TikTok or Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, um, I am currently uh, interim EIC over at Deadspin. I'm trying to sell a second book and uh, I'm watching a lot of TV. Just finished The Last of Us last night. 